We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Greg Olson, and I'm thrilled to introduce my new podcast, TE1. TE1 will chronicle a 60-year evolution of the tight end position, from its origins as an obscure, overlooked blocking role to the versatile superstar position that it is today. I'll explore the evolution of the position through conversations with some of the all-time game-changing tight ends. And just like the incredible tight ends we sit down with on my new show, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. This truck is all about grit, strength, and dependability. The same attributes it takes to be a tight end. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by DoorDash, BetOnline.ag, and NFL Sunday Ticket. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius. And the Lakers won, uh, defeated the Rockets 112-102 to in Game 3 to take a 2-1 lead in the series. And what was a very exciting, very fascinating game. It's so cool to see the kind of the chess match of it, to see different guys... Uh, stepping up and in different ways. And, you know, before the series, we, we talked about how this was a, a LeBron James series. And this was a uh, a LeBron James game today, especially in that first half. Finished with 36 points and seven boards and five assists. Had four swats all in the third quarter. We're going to talk about the second half defense a little bit later. But LeBron, I thought Darius... Uh, he had 29 points in the first half, and he was essential to keeping us attached, right? Because our defense was not up to snuff in that first half. And you could see him actually getting fairly irritated at teammates in, in, in different situations. Um, and he made some mistakes himself. But offensively, he was 
super aggressive. I want to ask you, what did you see from him as a scorer specifically in that 29-point half? Like, how was he getting his buckets? Look, man, first basket of the game. First basket of the game. They ran screen and roll for LeBron. He declined the screen, right? The screen was to his left hand, so he was— so the screen was set up for him to go left. He declined that screen, drove hard right to the rim and got a layup, right? And so already, already, that's the that's their first offensive possession. And I already saw it just with the bounce he had in a step. Next possession, he shoots a step back three and then he cans that. And you could already tell then the wheels were turning in his head and mm-hmm. It was clear to me he came out with the mentality of, I'm going to dominate this game. Mm-hmm. And yeah. every single, like 90% of his offensive possessions were basically him making a determination of where is the weak point on this possession and how can I attack it? He was hunting switches way earlier in the game than what he typically does, right? Like that's normally a fourth quarter approach, but he was not doing that this game. The Lakers ran many more pick and rolls, if not to actually run the action itself than to try to get a switch. I think that was LeBron basically initiating that and then basically saying, all right, well, I'll put PJ Tucker on me. I don't care, Mm -hmm. right? Like I'm going to go right at him and and either attack off the dribble to try to get a foul or score at the basket, or I'm more than comfortable tonight with my jumper, right? You could just already tell that the way he was playing is he knew he had his his entire offensive game going, and he was going to exploit that to the best of his abilities. And the Lakers needed it, man. Like, their defense was so bad that it was LeBron who basically kept them attached the way that you were saying to start the pod. And it was just, I don't know, man. This was one of those games where he was just at that sort of greatest of all time level, right? Like, like, right. like this is the type of performance that it, it won't go on his like top 10 playoff performance list, but, but this is why he's considered like the best player in the league still. Right. Yeah, no, he absolutely. And it was, to me, it was his jump shot, right? Like he was looking for it aggressively. Houston has kind of sagged off of him a little bit and he was hitting step backs. Like he had this drive on Covington, I I believe it was in the, in the second quarter. It might've been on, on Macklemore um, where he like drove off of a, a screen by, who was it? It was J.R. Smith. J.R. Smith in that little three minute stretch, right? Yeah. And so it was like this drag screen, step up screen in transition. LeBron drives to the right baseline and like plants hard and goes behind his back. And it's just like one of those like, like hit on the brakes, right? And then steps back. It was a mid range jumper, right? And he, and he pulled it. And I was just like, that is a nasty shot. And that's the, a lot of the um, like the ball screen stuff. I liked the side ball screen stuff, even if it was just to get uh, a switch and him into isolation. But really, his step back jumper. It's funny going against Houston. Uh, you know that being kind of kind of the move. But his him ability to like plant that front foot and then 
step back and cre- yeah. create space on that. And then he had that one where he like set a down screen for AD in the corner and PJ Tucker, you know, got knocked down and then, but we were running out and running out on the shot clock. And then he hits like a turnaround jumper. That was uh, the there shot. Was just, that was the shot yeah. that sort of epitomized to me the I'm feeling it tonight. Yeah, absolutely. Do you remember that playoff game that he had um, when he was still with the Cavs and he must have shot like nine fadeaway turn, turnaround jumpers or something like that against Toronto. And yeah. he just kept going yes. to the turn, turnaround jumper. And from the was, elbow, yeah. And he was just sort of like laughing almost with how often, like he's like, oh, here comes another one, left shoulder, left shoulder. I'm yeah. just turning, yep. right? Yep. And, <laughs> and uh, that was this type of shot where it was just like, oh yeah, like you're not stopping me tonight. And like I was saying, man, they needed every single one of those points. I liked there was some. I liked what he did down in the post too. Yes, right? and you made a point when we were talking in, in the lead up to that. Like, what does Rondo do for kind of those for LeBron to help facilitate that? No, man. So one of the things that was great is like Rondo's such a good passer, right? And, and so of all the thi- like. I hate to like preface it again, right? Because we've said our fair share of negative things about Rondo. This That's, is a different player. Like it, this is a way more engaged player. It's playoff Rondo, right? Like this is, I think, the reason why. In a lot of re- in a lot of ways, man. Like for a good team, the regular season's an eighty-two game yeah. preseason, right? Well, and yeah, I have a point about playoff Rondo. I know we're going to get to him in a little bit, but I'll make this point actually. Let's talk about the bronze stuff with with like the post because I don't want to get sidetracked we'll here. Yeah, let's get to it. Yeah. Is Braun was Braun was sitting weak side a lot, right? And so the guy that they've been primarily defending LeBron with is Eric Gordon, who is a stout sort of fire hydrant type of player. And Gordon is hard to back down. Now LeBron will back him down, and if they were playing a game of one on one. Sure. Right? Like, LeBron would back him down and put his butt right in the stanchion and just get layups, right? But that's not what this game is. Houston's going to send help. They're going to show him a second and a third third defender. They're going to park a guy, like, in the restricted area. And that's not a viable play for LeBron to just back down Eric Gordon to score in the post. So, with Rondo in the game and being able to be a lead ball handler, and this is this is where... The Rockets defending Rondo like this matters too. They're sagging off Rondo. And so one of the worst things you can do to a good passer is give him a bunch of space in order to make a read, right? Like mm-hmm. this is one of the benefits that like like that Ben Simmons has as well. Like not only is Ben Simmons super tall, but when they right. lay off you so much every passing angle then becomes available to you. And when you're such a savant as a passer, you're going to make the types of passes that Rondo's been making this series, like the skip passes and and all of those. But with LeBron specifically, LeBron's been parking himself weak side dunker spot, and then he's been doing a hard duck-in post. It's so so like old school basket. That's part of what's fascinating about the series is like, we're kind of like the new version of old school basketball. Yeah. And just so those post seals and duck ins, like where he ducks that front shoulder and throws his arm up and yeah. seals the guy behind him and all that. Right. And it's just, it's beautiful, you know, power basketball. If they're micro ball, we're power ball. Right. Yes, and it's it, just LeBron's LeBron's that. 
Exactly. And so he's ducking in weak side and he's sort of getting underneath Eric Gordon and knocking him back. And then Rondo is able to hit him with great timing and set him up for layups. He threw one over the top to Braun and then Braun just sealed Gordon because Gordon was able to stay in front of him. So then Braun's just like, okay, well, you're going to front me. There's no ball Mm -hmm. pressure there on Rondo. So he's just going to throw it right over the top to me and I'm going to get a layup. Other times he's, he's ducking in and, and actually clearing out the space. Braun had a great rim run in the first mm-hmm. half as well, where that's like classic big man stuff. Like that's Carl Malone work yeah. right there, uh-huh. right? Where he, LeBron ran middle lane, right? And ran all the way right to the restricted area, turned, sealed, got the ball and got a layup. And those are the things that LeBron can do when he's an off-ball worker. And the Lakers' only other, like, real primary ball handler is Rajon Rondo. Now, Alex Caruso could do some of that, but and, and I think Caruso's got really great feel as a passer in transition. Like, he really, he, he like, Caruso has good spatial awareness within the open court. Rondo has that as well, but Rondo also has great spatial awareness in the half court as as a passer. And so some of these passes that he's willing to take or willing to make, sorry, when he's got his feel going, those are assists. And that's what was lacking in game one. one. And that's what we sort of harped on with him, right? Is like, he doesn't have his feel. He hasn't been been playing so on a certain level it's like kind of amazing this is remarkable like like it's not this shouldn't just take one game for him to get to that point right and uh but but boy is it a difference maker man that player having that guy out on the on the floor for us um and everyone and everyone is benefiting because of that and i think that lebron too this is sort of recalculating like how and when and where he expends his his energy, right? And so, like, to keep on the LeBron note, like, this was probably his most engaged defensive game. So that's what I want to talk about next. I want to get to Rondo a little bit later. But, yeah, so the Lakers come out in the second half. They're down at halftime. And uh, they come out in the second half, and JaVale's on the bench, right? We, we go small. We had given up uh, 64 points in the first half. It was 64 to 61 at halftime. And so Le- LeBron keeps us attached. In the third quarter, um, we really turn the screws, right? Houston scores 18 points. LeBron has four block shots in that quarter alone. And just our defensive rotations, this was, I want to mix in LeBron with this point, right? Like yeah. Us, us going small and having the like one and no big lineups out there, we're so much faster and able to close out. Now, if we're not closing out and we're not flying around the way that we are, then yes, it's going to be problematic. But the way we defend at our best is by, I've said this all series, right, is that we're big and fast athletes that with speed, right? Yeah. And, and so that ability to close out, this was an example. That second half is what we have in our back pocket defensively that JaVale can't do that. JaVale can't well, play that way. I will like, say Dwight this. can't play that way. I will say they can against almost against like 28 other NBA teams. Right. No, right. That's but a fair not, point. But, yes. But, and, and so the Lakers 
it's very interesting. They maintained their defensive identity by while downsizing. And that may have been the biggest accomplishment, I feel like, so far of this series for them. But this was that was always going to be the case because we have we can go small, quote unquote, or even micro with no big at all, and still have LeBron James on the floor. Yeah. Right? There's that that power to it. We can go like a regular the, the way the second half started. We put Keith in for Javale, and we've still got LeBron James and Anthony Davis as a small ball lineup, right? Yeah. And these are guys that are flying out to the to the three point line and and closing out and even while we're trapping, right? And and taking away. And so that's what this second half is why the like going small was always the the way to go, right, with this team is because we can take them off of everything they want to do. And we can chase them off of the three-point line and and contest and we're when we're at our best, we're hunters, right? This yeah. this team of Lakers, they're they're hunters. It's not Hanging back and let James Harden shooting shoot step backs, we, we shouldn't be letting them do anything, right? There should be no let about our defense. Our defense is this: what we saw tonight. Can they do it for forty eight game, forty eight minutes over seven games, or however many se- games in a seven game series? It's unrealistic to ask that. But that defense, we've always got, and we saw that in at the start of uh, of game one, or I'm sorry, of game two, and we saw that in this third quarter and just second half overall. And LeBron was a big part of that with those just monster. They can cover LeBron and AD, especially can cover so much distance so quickly that it's like we've got an extra guy on the court. LeBron's rotations, I thought were next level. Yeah. For even for him. Right. And and so he has made some, like he's had some amazing closeouts this season and and when he's really been engaged and locked in he looks like like an all defense level player right easily at that level um this game he he was big man lebron right so he was he was protecting the rim he was rotating to the paint. And normally this season, when LeBron has been a rim protector, he's been someone who rotates early and sort of like uses his big body as a deterrent or as a guy who can draw a charge, right? Like mm-hmm. he's like he drew a lot of charges this year and and even sort of like got guys to pull up and, and go into floater range and, and shoot floaters instead of getting all of the way to to the basket because his because that's how good of a rotator he was. This game, he was rotating and he got a couple of blocks at like the point of attack where instead of stepping in yeah. to take a charge, he's yeah. going up with you. The, like he also had a couple of LeBron like chase down style specials, mm-hmm. right? Sure. Where where like he met a guy at the backboard and and pinned it. But the block he got against Harden, yeah. right? Where just Harden's gonna about to shoot that up. floater and and mm-hmm. he just blocked it. The There's block no- that he had, I think it was on maybe Eric Gordon. But he had another block that was another one, like right in the paint. At the dotted line, like the restricted area, charge charge circle area, and he just elevated and blocked it and kept it mm-hmm. in bounds. Like that's a big man play. And mm-hmm. when he when he is engaged like that and that active, like that's 
And you could tell, too, he was gassed when he took his his third quarter break. He was gassed because he was giving it everything he could on both sides of the floor to make sure that the Lakers were going to stay in this game or get out in front. And Mm -hmm. that's why, to me, I, I mean, you said it at the start, man, but like, this was the epitome of what I think you and I meant when we said this was like a LeBron James series. Like yeah. he, on both sides of the ball, he, he was the alpha. He was the best player, and, and he was the one who set the tone. And the reason for that is his like he's a small ball. Like in in a lot of ways, LeBron ushered in the era of drive and kick basketball of spacing right around like his style of play he does that but he's a bigger stronger faster person right than russell westbrook than james harden then like he he fits houston's style of play better than anyone on houston does and it there they there's a physicality there that's absent from other players, even on the Lakers, right? Like AD has his own way of of showing his physicality, but like LeBron can plow all the way to the basket or shoot a step back jumper, right? In a way that's just like that they don't have anyone who can hang with him physically. LeBron is f- like he he is pure force, right? Yeah. So like AD's like water, right? Like uh-huh. like like I mean. And and LeBron's a sledgehammer, so AD's graceful, man, and and like he can be and he can be powerful too, and like just like water can be, right? Sure. But but he's like he's graceful and he's fluid, and the way that he moves around the floor, there there is almost like an elegance to that and, and very much so. and, but there's a drive behind that as well that will then knock you off your knock you off balance a little bit and get him to a spot so we're not trying to diminish what anthony davis is but lebron is he is the ultimate sort of like like blunt object right it like he is pure force like he's just gonna come come at you and knock you backwards and I don't know, man. It was just, uh, it was a special night for LeBron, really. And, and hopefully, um, he's got one or two more of these in him. Be because I honestly think the Lakers are going to need it. Yeah, let's let's take a quick break, and when we come back, I actually want to start out with looking at this from Houston's perspective. We'll get into Rondo. We'll get into AD. Want to talk about him a, a little bit more in, in depth. But when we come back, we're going to talk kind of flip the perspective on this and see what uh what Houston can do to to counter you know this these two wins in a row that Lakers have so let's take a quick break and we'll be right back with that Sundays are coming back with the NFL with NFLSundayTicket.tv, you can stream every live, out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices. Plus, Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels never miss your favorite teams and favorite players. No matter where you live, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. Visit NFLTicket.tv and use promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word. 
You've counted on restaurants, and now they're counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash has saved me on many nights where I've been working on an LFR video and haven't had time to make anything. And it's been so convenient to have the food that I want to eat show up at my door. And now they do that in a way where your food will be left safely right outside of your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. You can choose from your favorite restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code BLUEWIRE. That's all one word. That's $5 off and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code BLUEWIRE. Don't forget, that's code BLUEWIRE for $5 off your first order of $15 or more with DoorDash. CID, I... I view Houston as being kind of like a Rubik's cube in that you like, I don't know. Do you, do you know how to do a Rubik's cube? I mean, I know how they work. I'm just saying like, can you complete one? Like, <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. no, 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 neither, neither can I, neither can I. Right. Um, but if you know how to do it, like, uh, like our guy, Eric Pincus is a, is a Rubik's cube guy. He's always trying to beat his, his best time. Right. But the point is that you could hand, you can hand Eric, a Rubik's cube in any condition, and he knows how he has figured out how to finish a Rubik's cube. I view the Houston Rockets in a similar manner, right? Like they are novel, they're a strange team that gives them advantages earlier in the series because it's like you're not quite playing the same type of basketball against them that you play against every, anybody else because they play a different type of basketball. And it the novelty of that becomes like, a oh, like this thing that works against this other team doesn't quite work against them because of that novelty. But I feel like eventually when you figure that out, figure out the ways that you can attack them. So for one, our small ball lineups defensively, the trapping that we've seen more and more. Yeah. Um, you know, on, on offense, we've gone a lot to uh, to AD and a lot of like single side clear outs because yeah. the nature of Houston switching, right, is, is we're going to match up hunt and then that's old school basketball, right? You one on one side and then four on the other and uh, clear out some space for your best guy to go to work in isolation. Um, I am struggling to f- figure out what Houston could do. Um, like, they, I'm not saying Lakers are, you know, winning in five, although I'm not, not saying that, but I, I'm... Because if the Lakers don't focus, right, they can get yeah, off from three. Yeah. Like we saw in that first half, right? Like if LeBron doesn't go off, we're down by 10, 12 points. Um, but for, on a fundamental level, I'm not sure where Houston goes from here. Are you more like, do you see something where they can adjust to, to where the series is going? I don't necessarily see like major adjustments from Houston at this point. Um, I think that they'll definitely watch tape themselves and they'll see areas where they were not as sharp as they needed to be as well. So Houston isn't going to be this heavy adjustments team, right? Like I think the idea that you, that you presented is, is a good one. They are novel. And the thing is with a novelty is, is that it's not like it's going to lose its overall effectiveness just because the other side starts to make adjustments to them. The things that Houston does still works. It's just that they've got to do it even better than they have been 
in order to maintain a certain level of effectiveness. And I think what you're talking about is that as the series goes on, the other team keeps moving that bar higher and higher and higher in Mm -hmm. order for them to be able to clear it and say, we're still going to be as good as we need to be in order to win the series, right? Mm -hmm. And and so, like, look, I don't want to make excuses for... For Houston, I don't think that like Daniel House would have made a huge difference this game, but I do know that Houston, this this version of Houston needs every single player that is a rotation player for them and a key rotation player for them available to beat these Lakers. And House was out; that was one less guy, right? And so that bit that Austin Rivers had to play, it meant that Ben McLemore had. To play the minute Ben the minute Ben McLemore got in the game, like it was the Hunger Games. <laughs> it it was, man. LeBron basically pointed at him yeah. and said, You're the Give tribute. Me that guy. Like, you're the tribute. <laughs> because I'm going to go after you. You're the yeah. guy. You know, I think it was McLemore on that nasty move where he drove baseline and pulled it back behind his back. I think that was McLemore, yes. But it's just like, <laughs> but that's what I'm saying about Houston, though, is that do I think that, do I think that they're in some trouble this series? Like, yes, I do. Be like, because I don't necessarily see them as this big adjustments team. They made their adjustment at the trade deadline. Right. You know what I mean? Like right. they like they traded their center and said we're going all all in with this style and we think that this style we can win with it. And I think to a certain extent they're right. They're going to push this version that they're playing all the way to the limit. And it's either going to get them there or they're going to run out of gas, right? Right. And um this game, they ran out of gas, and the Lakers were stronger at the end. I said this to you before we started to record, but the Lakers out-rocketed the Rockets, right? They went small. They they hit only two fewer three-pointers than, than Houston, um, and then the Lakers did the things that the Lakers do as well, right? Which was they dominated the backboards. Yeah, this was the first game where we really dominated them on the backboards, though. Yeah, and, 40, 43 to 30. And they no, did no offensive lot. rebounds for P.J. Tucker. I'm sorry, just while it's on my mind. didn't ha- Very few corner threes from P.J. Tucker, That's too, right. right? No crashing from the corner. They really adjusted nicely there. They did a lot of things that you would have wanted to have seen, you know, earlier during the series— this game and the way that the puzzle was finally put together was just like honestly it's it's what made this game so enjoyable to me Mm -hmm. it was it was the combination of lebron being lebron Mm -hmm. and then the adjustments sort of sinking and falling into place in in a way where they unlocked something that mm-hmm. then drove them to a win. Like credit, f- like Frank Vogel catches a lot of heat. I feel like from like a very like m- from a mi- from a vocal minority 
of Lakers fans. And we talked about this the other, like after game one, right? When he played Rondo heavy minutes and then the Lakers lost. And it was just like, what is he doing? Yada, yada, yada. But this to me was Vogel going back and sort of showing the flexibility that I think that he's actually shown a lot of this season that has that he really hasn't gotten a lot of credit credit for, right? He made a lineup change at halftime. He changed up their defensive approach again after mm-hmm. the first half, and he went back to trapping, and he had everyone operating within the context of what they needed to do in order to be successful against this specific team. And isn't that what coaching is? Yep. Yep. And that's like it's it he does a great job of tapping into the versatility of the roster, right? Like of the there's because we're basically two superstars and a lot of role players, role players will be like role players will be different role players will be effective in different situations in different series, right? And he does a great job of tapping into who that will be. Speaking of, right, Rondo yeah. in this game. Um he one thing that stood out to me of you know really watching him in, in this game is I do think Houston's a good matchup for him. He had several drives to the rim where he's finishing at the rim. I think he had about four buckets on that. And he at his size, like I'm more worried about Rondo against size than I am against a team like Houston in that when he drives to the basket, he's able to finish his with his normal layup form, he doesn't have to put a little extra height on it or shoot it at a little different angle because somebody's coming to block the shot, and uh, like they just don't have enough length. And Houston's vulnerable in transition. Um, I thought he had some really timely traps. He got a steal and a layup off of Harden in the fourth quarter that pushed it to a ten point game, I believe. Um, so I actually want to talk. About Split it into two parts. I actually did not think he was that great in the first three quarters, especially the end of the third quarter. I was really frustrated by the amount of stagnance that there was in those Rondo AD lineups. And even with LeBron on the floor toward the end of that, like LeBron was was uh, decidedly off of the ball. What like what changed, I guess, between those first three? What did you see in those first three quarters? And what was the shift into that fourth quarter? So I will say this. There were two things. There was something I really liked about him, and you mentioned it, but I think it bears repeating. And there was stuff that I did not like, which you also mentioned, right? And so the thing I really did like is um, Rondo's attacking off of the dribble. If you watched the Houston OKC series, um, Mm, that's yes. where yes. that's where Houston is vulnerable. Dennis Schroeder ate against mm-hmm. this Houston team because he is a straight up line drive player, right? Like he is a straight line drive guy. So he, he Schroeder doesn't have a lot of wiggle. He's not going to dance with the ball a lot in front of you and do a bunch of fancy like Kyrie Irving stuff. He is, I'm going to put my head down. I'm going to turn the corner like I'm a pass rusher and I'm going to get to the damn rim. And Rondo did a lot of that this game, even before that fourth quarter, right? Mm-hmm. He was he was just like, he rejected a couple of screens and drove right to the rim. He came off pick and roll and he was just like, oh, I'm going... I'm going to the basket. He attacked James Harden. He got a layup. Um, He drove hard middle, 
from the left side of the court and had a nice little drive driving kick. It didn't lead to anything, but it was just another sort of like you have talked about this whole series about puncturing Houston's defense and the way that you do that is like you could do that with the pass, but the best way to do it is just right off the dribble, get downhill on these guys, make make small guys rotate to the front of the rim and mm-hmm. then make them rotate and then if if you can finish over the top top of them great they're small if they rotate and they get there early then make the kick out pass and then make them rotate and get them into rotation that way right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. rondo did a lot of that this game and that's impo- that's important it's important the thing I, the thing i did not like from him is that he was much less active as an off-ball worker this game than he was in game two. So he did not cut as much, and when he did cut, it was not with his. It was not with the same purpose. He did not screen as much, and when he did screen, it was sort of like blah stuff, like not a lot of like I'm really going to get up on you and try to create an an opening for a teammate. So a lot of that did lead to just like him standing there and gumming up spacing a little bit. And then when he did have the ball, it was a lot of like dribble, dribble, dribble when he wasn't really trying to, to attack. Um, He did have some good passes though. Those lobs over the top to AD, those are useful, man. They get AD going. He really likes that connection. Um, So, but to me, it was the fourth quarter where he really started to play with more tempo he shot the ball with like confidence. Those threes are huge threes, man. So that's the thing about his. So obviously, you know, Rondo's never going to be a shooter per se, but he's gotten better over the years at those like we're not going to guard you type threes. And when he's got his it, time to get his feet right, he's really his jumper is all about his feet. I I I can tell almost every time he's going to miss, right? If he's got a sidestep or bring his right foot back in, uh, rather than, yeah, he's, he's going to miss that shot. But when he's got time to get his feet the way he likes, he's like solid and him not being afraid of the moment, him not being rattled by all of that. He's going to make those, right? Like, Caruso hit a three today. I was like, oh, Caruso hit a three. Like, you know, like, yeah. I don't expect him to make his shots, right? His his threes. This is the the conversation we were having all year of, like, will Alex be able to do that in the playoffs? Not on offense. Not in the role that Rondo can fill, right? Like, Caruso's got a different job. But, like, when Rondo's got nobody around him, he's going to he, he's gonna punish that over the course of, of you know, of a series of a, he's not a guy where like he's just gonna miss over and over and over and over again when nobody's guarding him at all and i thought like houston's approach these last couple of games like you know he went one for five in the last game on a lot of those open shots but it was three for five tonight right and and so four for ten between those two games and i think that the types of threes that he's getting like his forms totally fine right he just he's got a very slow shooting stroke. Yeah. So when he can do all of the things, it's very deliberate, but if you're not guarding him, he can get into it. And he's like a perfectly fine shooter. So it's different than like how we take attention off of Westbrook. Rondo can actually hit these wide open shots in a way where like, you still have to play us five on five, you know? Well, the thing is too, is that Rondo, 
in like in his own way, Rondo's also like a Houston player in terms of like shot selection, right? Because sure. he because he's trying to get to the rim for layups. And then they're leaving him so wide open that he's just going to shoot those walk-in jumpers where he's basically mm-hmm. just wide open, right? And so the three that was the killer, though, was the one against the shot clock where he did sidestep left and then he hit that three. And that was just like, a, oh, holy shit, like, look, playoff Rondo. Yeah. Oh, which reminds after, me. After a terrible possession, by the way. Yeah, go ahead. Which reminds me about my playoff Rondo point since we're oh, back yes. on that now. Please. Is um, one of the things I'm... We always talk about sort of like Rondo's intelligence and his IQ and like we talk about and the coaches rave about him and being the smart player who's like great in the film room and he could be a coach and he's always seeing stuff. You know when that matters? bro not Mm. night to night in a regular season when one night you're playing phoenix and the next night you're playing denver and then after denver you've got an east coast trip and so now you're playing like the bucks and then philly right and then and then you go to orlando before you go before you go back to la that's not when that stuff matters you know when it matters it matters when you play the same damn team night after night after night after night because the refining and the tweaking and the understanding of opponent-specific game plans becomes so much more important. And I'm convinced now, at this point, that if there is a quote-unquote playoff rondo, it's directly tied to the fact that he's just, he actually is a really smart player. And he actually does understand opponent tendencies. And he does understand game plan. And he can when he's locked in and the stakes are high, right? right. And That's so the thing. Yeah. there is, that is the thing, is that he is a player that wants to meet the stakes, mm-hmm. right? And so as the stakes elevate, then he's going to try to meet those. And the only way to do that is through a greater level of focus and with more energy provided uh, and and effort, right? And so he is trying to meet that moment. And I think if there is a playoff Rondo, that's what it is. It's like, oh, damn, these games are super important. And Mm -hmm. guess what? The same team we played yesterday is the team we're playing day after tomorrow. And, and they like to do this one thing when the ball's here, and this guy's going to set the screen this way, and if we do this, it's... Yeah, the, that's part of also why I think we've gotten better as the series have gone on in the first two rounds. I suspect that will be the case however long we're in the playoffs. Yeah. Is the, the Lakers have a really impressive brain trust. Like... Rondo and LeBron and and Vogel and you know with his preparation and Jason Kidd and even Lionel hey. Hollins helping outside like these are guys that have been around for a well, long I mean, time. We talked about this a bunch too, but like Danny Green and Alex Caruso, uh-huh. right? Yeah. We even talked about this with like Dwight Howard, even though he's not playing this series. Like, mm-hmm. and, and then and just the veteran guys, right? And there is there is something to be said about the guys who just understand how to play, which I want to sidebar here because you told me before we started to record the pod, you wanted to talk about Kuz, like Kuzma a little bit. Yeah. So before we get to AD, let's talk about Kuz because I honestly think that that sort of idea about feel and 
and understanding how to play, I think Kuz epitomized that yeah. this game within the context of like what his skill set is. So, so, so talk to me what you saw from Kuzma. Yeah, he's one of the different parts of figuring out the Rubik's Cube. And once you figured it out, you got it figured out for good. You're just trying to, you know, beat your best time. Kuz figured out how to get to the rim against them in this game. He took 10 shots, made seven of them. Only two of them were threes, missed both of them. But as a cutter, uh, he started doing this, you know, crashing from weak side corner. He had, you know, put back dunk in the last game. But his... His cutting in this game was phenomenal, man. You said before we got on, like, it reminded you of rookie year coups with, like, third year coups smarts. And yeah. th- that was absolutely the case in this game where there are different. So when we go, especially in our five out sets, right? And five out is when everybody's behind the three point line, two guys in the corners, two wings, one guy up top. There, every, from every spot, there is a partner, there's a cutter partner. Right. So like if you drive baseline from the corner, the guy on the weak side wing dives to the basket and that's going to be that's going to be a a cut. Right. If you're on the wing on one court on one side of the court, the weak side corner is going to be your cutter. Right. And so from every spot, from everywhere that you drive, there's somebody who is a natural, your natural cutting partner. Um, It's a little harder from the top of the key, but especially those wings in those corners. And we had. Like there was like a wing drive to the rim where he like looped around right into the space. Rondo hit him. It was toward the end of the game, and Rondo was like on the baseline on one of those probes under the basket, and it was just like it's just beautiful basketball. And it's like that's the puncturing of the defense, right? In part, it's Rondo getting into the teeth of the defense, right? And once that happens, heads are turned. When heads are turned, cutter uh, cutters are going to be open. He hit Kuz with a pass. Uh, he had hit a little flip shot, uh, you know, hook in the game before too. And so Kuz, Kuz's understanding and kind of going back to what he was at the beginning of his career in his rookie year is this really phenomenal cutter off of the ball rather than kind of lingering behind the three-point line. He's made a phenomenal, just he, he's been phenomenal and, and that difference that it made tonight was, was huge, right? Because it capitalizes as soon as, basically as soon as we puncture the defense, get to the rim, right? Like whoever, yeah. like that's the time to really show our dominance there. And he was a, a great example of that. I thought that one of the most important things that he's doing as a cut cutter is that he's cutting with purpose. So not mm-hmm. only is he cutting from the right positions and at the right time, right? Which are super important. I would argue that the most important thing that he's doing as a cut a cutter is that he's cutting with purpose, regardless of whether or not he thinks he's going to get the ball, right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes he knows he's not going to get the ball based off so of helpful, when like- and where he's cutting, right? And so look, you were talking about how it's trickier when the ball is at the top of the key and you're in this like 1-4 alignment, right? Kuz mm-hmm. is cutting from that shoulder area and he's cutting through and sort of just throwing his hands up like, hey, here I am. He knows LeBron's not going to throw some bullet pass between like two or three defenders because everyone is sunk in on that. He, but he's cutting with purpose in order to occupy those guys when he's crossing their face right it's yeah. like here's my football analogy again it's like when you're running a, like what one of those drag routes across the lower side like one of those like Wes Welker routes right where he like drags across the linebackers 
and he's crossing those those linebackers' faces, those guys have to take a step towards you towards you as a cutter because you are a threat. That mm-hmm. is LeBron with the ball at the top of the key. He can actually hit you with with a pass. And so as as those guys pass you on or as they go with you, then that opens something up. But that mm-hmm. doesn't work if you just sort of lollygag your way through the paint there and and yeah. clear the area, right? Like that's not going to do it enough. Mm-hmm. You need to actually move with force. You need to move with quickness. And and this game, I thought, and last game, I thought Kuz did just an excellent job of of really, really moving through the paint with the understanding of I'm doing this to help my teammate more than I am to like make a catch so that I can be a scorer. And yeah. that's that's like growth for yeah. him as a player because when he was a first or a second year player, he's actually making that cut to get the ball. And if he doesn't get the ball, he might side eye someone just like I'm open here, right? Mm-hmm. But he understands this series that like I'm doing this to like clear up LeBron here or I'm doing this to free up some space so that AD can post on this side that I just cleared. Mm-hmm. Like there's there's bigger tactical results you're looking for than something that's just for him. And mm-hmm. then on top of all that, he's then using those same types of cuts when it is the right basketball play in order to get himself going. And he's taking advantage of all the attention that his teammates are drawing. And look, man, like he was like six for seven in game two. He had another great shooting night, seven for 10, just like you said, this game. That's the type of production as a completely like off-ball worker, right? He didn't mm-hmm. run any pick and roll. Nope. He didn't nope. isolate and any. He did hit that one turnaround jumper like late in the shot clock when mm-hmm. when he sort of went into a half post. But that was really the only time where he like ball play, yeah. yeah, yeah, like a bailout, and that was really just like a bailout play. Yeah, the rest of everything yeah. else that he's getting mm-hmm. is totally right out of like the said Zabalos playbook right of, uh-huh, of like absolutely. lurking around the paint or making a smart cut working the offensive glass doing like heady stuff and, and and that's a that's the type of difference maker and when you combine that with what rondo has been doing and then you stack that underneath the pillars that are like lebron and and anthony davis and that's like that's contending basketball right there yeah, I mean, we saw we've got two superstars, and we saw the best defense in the NBA tonight when they when they're locked in and they're rotating and they're and we're versatile, right? Like the way we would play the Rockets would be very different than how we would play the Clippers, but we can we can play in both of those series and we can defend in both of those series, um, but it doesn't work without the two superstars doing superstar things. Anthony Davis had twenty six points and. 15 rebounds and six assists, nine for 13 from the field, went eight for 11 from the line. The 13 shot attempts is fairly low, uh, but his shot making is, I am, you know, like I'll 
cruise around Twitter sometimes, uh, you know, during this series. And, you know, I say a little bit less than I used to, but I, I, I'm looking and I see a lot of like, oh, he's shooting this from mid-range and it's not going to, that's not sustainable. Mid-range is, is bad. Like the moves that he's putting on guys, Darius, like he's breaking dudes off, right? And, and creating space and, uh, as we've said, hitting those kind of, bendy shots right like those uh you know floaters and whatnot but this was a game that was more like it was that face-up jumper it was those you know he's got a little bit of a fade to his so these are practice shots for him against uh a houston team that isn't particularly big it's just a matter of like these are difficult shots but these are superstar shots and the one thing that i i've been thinking about this recently in the broader scheme of like our championship aspirations is i believe that you need to have somebody who's money from mid-range on your team to really produce, to, to win a title. And that's not really LeBron's game, right? LeBron can post up. He can do work from mid-range from the post, but he's not like a pull-up against a drop coverage, you know, and hit that 16-foot jumper type of shooter. And th- th- the mid-range is not a huge part of his game. But Anthony Davis, um, these... First off, can you explain, like... Why is he shooting so much better now than he was on these during the regular season? I don't, you know, I I wish I had a great answer for I don't either. for you yeah. there. Like I'm, I mean, these are basically but, the same types types of shots. Like we the, have talked. Go ahead. The one thing I'll say, I'm sorry. The one thing I'll say is like, there's purpose to his moves. It's not the shot; it's what comes before it. Yeah. Right. Like the way he creates separation, the way he creates because like creating separation went at his size with his wingspan. It. For him, it's not so much as creating distance between the guy and him, but just the ability to get a clean gather and shooting stroke under. So, like, at some point, AD brings the ball up past a certain point where PJ Tucker can no longer bother it, Robert Covington, but they can they can win that battle during the gather, right? Like when it's down, the ball's down low, and they can impact it. They can make him kind of bring it up to the side a little more than straight up the way that he likes. So him getting separation and getting space is more about him getting to the position where he can get into his gather and shooting stroke and go over the top of them more than like create separation. And I feel like his off the dribble moves have been crisper. It's like less about his shooting form than it is creating separation in that way. That's about all I see though. No, those are great observations. Um, And we've been talking about this now for like a series and a half, right? Like there is a, all of those things are also um, tools for establishing rhythm. And, Mm -hmm. And if there's one thing that I'll say is, look, AD is one of those players too, where when you look at his career averages and he hasn't had a lot of playoff like history, right? He's second all time, man, as a scorer. But, but yeah. he is, but his numbers go up every uh-huh. playoffs, right? And so he he may also just be one of those guys where, oh, hey, like he also wants to meet the moment. He also mm-hmm. understands that like these are higher stakes. He also maybe is a sharp basketball mind who can really dial in and lock in and raise his game another level. And that may be 
as much of an answer as anything else, right? Like, whereas where we're looking for tactical things, like, oh, how sure. are his, like, how are his feet? And, and what's the scheme? Yeah, and, yeah. And, and, is, and did he change his release point or, right? Like, like, <laughs> sure, sure. Like, you're looking for some sort of like technical solution or, or answer here, but it could just be like, oh, hey, he's Anthony Davis. He's already a really good player. These are shots that he's capable of making. And now, as his focus is narrowed, yeah, and these games are more important, and every game is sort of like this isn't some mid February night, um, right? Like against some random opponent, but right. it's the second round of the playoffs or the first round of the playoffs or whatever it is. And, and I know that I'm going to be defended by one of these two or three players. And what are my what are my principles against this specific player or that specific player? What do I know that's going to work this series? What is my approach? And game after game after game, like I'm attacking this the same exact way. And I know that I'm better than these guys and yep. I'm going to do this, right? Like there's this whole formula that the playoffs is, is, is all about. And what we may be seeing is just that. Right, like there, in round one, it's Nurkic and Whiteside, and in yeah. round two, now it's it's PJ Tucker, some Eric Gordon, some Robert Cove Cummington. Every once in a while, some some James Harden. All these guys are basically going to play me the exact same way, and I'm going to attack them all the exact same way. And I'm Anthony Davis. I'm good too. Stop yeah. it if you can. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. It this series has made me think about the ways in which we misapply analytics. And, you know, like, so for example, James Harden as an elite post defender, right? The, he allows whatever he allows points per possession. It's one of the better numbers in the league. James Harden can't defend Anthony Davis. Like, the circumstances upon which he accrued those numbers as a, as a post defender, right, are are different, right? It's not that focused attention. And that's, and that's why, right, like the... Any numbers, so for example, like, you know, Harden on drives versus on step backs and the, you know, how they play versus big lineups versus smaller lineups. In some ways, it's it's not applicable to how you play the Lakers, right? And how you play any specific team. It's not just the Lakers, but AD is a 6'10", 6'11", wing with some guard skills and... James Harden can't defend that, and Eric Gordon can't defend that, and like all the switching that that they do, uh, PJ Tucker can can help on that. But we've seen as the series has gone on, like like eighties getting his on on Tucker as well, and so the his his ability to handle the ball and knock down these mid range shots the way that he is in the playoffs thus far gives the Lakers like LeBron will take care of all of the, you know, crash board or I'm sorry, you know, drive to the drive to the rim, creating drive and kick situations. He'll, you know, get up some threes. AD shot very few threes this series. He didn't shoot one tonight. And, but having a guy that you can throw the ball to in the mid post, um, it also, you know, if we end up playing the Clippers in the next round that like the Clippers having Kawhi who could just get those like, 
you know, here's a 12 footer that you can't bother at all. And it like, yeah. it looks very easy and kind of like discouragingly easy <laughs> that he can do it every time. AD's not quite as like, he's not quite as fundamentally sound as Kawhi is. And he, you know, a little more drama. He's fallen down on a lot of these fadeaways and things like that. But these are shots that like, he can make these shots. And I, I think part of it is that increased level of concentration in the playoffs. Uh, but that added dimension, I, I've been wondering, I've been, I've been so impressed by the versatility of this Lakers team, but yeah. that's one thing of like that, Hey, that mid range triple threat type buckets, triple threat buckets still matter. And him being able to do that kind of adds the last, the last bit to the half court offense in the playoffs, especially that this is why like Houston, Houston can't adjust in that like Harden, you can't give the ball to Harden triple threat and expect him to produce out of there. That's not what he does. Well, and the thing is, is like he could, if that was a thing that they actually wanted to do. And this is like our, like this is a part of like our ethos or like our DNA. Right. right? Yeah, I'm not so, saying he's not capable as a player. It's just, yeah, like, they, they can't, they're do not it going now. to, yeah, they can't not going switch to, to it now. now. Right. No, yeah. they can't. Right. And so, uh, but AD, AD can hit those shots. Right. And that, that's a, AD is like a make or miss player. You can do things to bother him, but ultimately that guy that is that big and, and that fluid, you're, you're hoping he doesn't make the shot. And there's something to be said for that in the playoffs when teams really start to know what you do, that uh, indomitability. We got two guys who, who can do that, and they did that tonight to the tune of, you know, combined 62 points and 22 rebounds and 11 assists. Um, they were remarkable. Six assists tonight. for AD, man. Yeah, man. His uh, like, passing's I've been, been really good. Yeah. I've been impressed with his passing. I was going to say that I've been impressed with, with his passing. Um Houston's not doubling him as much. And, and so that part of his passing hasn't necessarily been tested. And when they do dub double him, he's he's doing what you mentioned a couple of pods ago, which is he's like escape dribbling and he's backing away from the double and then repositioning himself in, in order to then attack. But that's the great thing about what his skill set is, right? Is when you would double team a straight post player like a Shaq or a Tim Duncan, um, those even as face-up players, they were going to get rid of the ball and then they were going to try to repost. Repost, right? yeah. But AD, he has such a strong face-up game that it is very much a wing. Like like he brings he brings wing skills to to a mid-post game, right? And so if he backs up. And is now at 18 feet instead of the 14 feet that he star started at when he wanted to post up originally. At 18 feet, he's going to give you a little bit of a shoulder shake, a right to left crossover, and then he can gather and sidestep, right, and shoot a step back jumper just like a guard could from anywhere on the floor. And not only not not only can he do do those things those are now so cemented as like a part of his repertoire that they are also like foundational moves that help him establish his rhythm 
right? Mm-hmm. And so that's why we talked about this a couple of pods ago where it's like these are practice shots. And I don't mean that like in a pejorative way against the nope. Rockets or or anything like that. I mean it exactly how it sounds. He practices these shots and he practices them because he's going to use them in the actual basketball game where he's going to bust your ass, right? And so when he goes 9 for 13, a lot of those were on dunks. He he also had four offensive sure. rebounds, right? Mm-hmm. And so he got some, like, he caught those two lobs from Rondo. He got an offensive mm-hmm. rebound, and then he got another dunk. He, he got another offensive rebound where the ball sort of squirted, squirted away squirted and just ended up it. in his hands. Sure. And then he got another, like, dunk there as, like, as well, right? So you don't go 9 for 13 on, on all jumpers, and he certainly didn't either. But if he goes 4 for 4 on those and then goes 5 for 8 or 5 for 9 on jumpers, yep. guess what? You still just shot 54% on jumpers, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the type of player that he's capable of being. And he's just never this. I've I've never seen him shoot this well. I did not see him obviously day in and day out when he played with the Pelicans. Um, but I did watch him play. But he surely didn't shoot this well over this long of a stretch during the playoffs like that it's been so far right so we're up to what eight playoff games Mm -hmm. he's basically shot well in what seven of those yeah he's he's been bonkers man like it's uh yeah it's it's great to you know it's been a long time since we played in these types of games and seeing you know you've covered these these types of games but i have not and just seeing the difference in the elevation in guys games from the regular season to the playoffs it gives some it's bringing back some nice like oh yeah type memories because i remember the shaq kobe lakers during the regular season would like certain guys or like robert ori was before playoff rondo there was big shot bob right yeah or ori would drift through like entire regular seasons and then all of a sudden come playoff time that's like that's one of the main dudes out there as as part of it and so um you know rondo stepping up as he has ad really playing like a superstar on making difficult shots uh giving a second guy to lebron like nobody else has nobody else has two guys who can hit the types of shots that the lakers have and uh in a a game that can be complicated and can be uh very complex and sophisticated it can also be very simple and so yeah. having those two superstars being able to hit those shots is remarkable so uh yeah lakers Finish out game three with the 112-102 win. Uh, game four is on Thursday. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We will catch you guys next time. Ainge has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's in. And the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Campbell in and out. The ball is tipped. And it's saved. Three seconds left. Here's Van Exel. This is for the win. He got it. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. An amazing performance by Kobe. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I know Red Arbach is uh, rolling over.
Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal! Are you kidding me? How strong was that? A triple on a fall away in the corner with a shot clock down. Lakers by three. Ryan spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. And the critical part was Pietras jogging back. Didn't bounce the floor. It's a two-for-one situation. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, miss it. Brian. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. Bad insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? The NBA and NHL are playing for gold, and our partners at Bet Online have you covered. Get in on all the action, including a new NBA bracket contest with plenty of chances to win. MLB season is pushing into fall, and there's no shortage of ways to bet with hundreds of odds, futures, and props. So take advantage of the return of sports, and remember, the casino never closes. Check it out all day and all night. Go to betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your welcome bonus. That's betonline.ag, promo code BLUEWIRE. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. 